Hi, and welcome to this week's LGBT Wellness Podcast. Each week, LGBT HealthLink, a program of Centerlink, brings you a roundup of some of the biggest LGBTQ wellness stories from the past week. Get ready to listen and learn lots. Hi, everyone. This is Corey. Welcome back to another week of our LGBT Wellness Roundup. As always, if any of the stories that I'm about to discuss are of interest to you, you can find the links to all of these pieces at blog.lgbthealthlink.org. I'm going to jump in with our first story of the week, and I'm excited that we have both of the authors having called in with their analysis of, of the work and why they think that it was important and what they think that it tells us. So I'm going to start out with my little description, and then we'll hear from them directly. So uh, here we go. Quarantine brings struggle for youth. Researchers in the UK, led by Dylan Neal and Leah Beckeris, who are about to hear from, found that lockdowns related to COVID-19 have had perilous impacts on the mental health of LGBT individuals. Two-thirds of LGBT people showed serious signs of depression during what they're calling the quarantine, and this was particularly true for youth. Now, we don't know exactly why this is uh, true for youth more so than adults, but, you know, it could be due to factors like them lacking the supportive network that adults have, um, maybe issues dealing with their families at home, which we've been covering on the podcast from time to time. But anyway, enough from me. Let's jump in and hear from the authors. Hi, I'm Laia Becares. I am one of the authors of the Quarantine Study. Our study is important because we find very high levels of depression, stress, and discrimination experienced by the LGBTQ community. And these will ad- remain unaddressed without substantial policy commitment and funding directed to improving the health inequalities that are being exacerbated by the pandemic, and which we record in our study. Governments and public health officials need to provide support for the organizations that are on the ground and working with the community and supporting our mental health, and which allow us to thrive, really. So our study is important because it raises concerns about how the pandemic is impacting our community and the urgent need for governments and public health officials to act. Hi, I'm Dr. Daladil from University College London. I'm a co-author of the Quarantine Study. Uh, The Quarantine Study research is important as it provides evidence that the coronavirus pandemic has exposed and magnified existing social and health inequalities that operate across multiple and intersecting systems of oppression. Given the stark health and socioeconomic inequalities known to exist on the basis of gender and sexual orientation, it sadly comes as no surprise to see from our survey results that lockdown has been particularly difficult for many within the LGBTQ plus community. This includes younger LGBTQ plus people and transgender and gender diverse people. Well, thank you both very much for calling in and sharing um, a little bit of insight into this really important and timely work. For those who are listening, if you'd like to read the study for yourself, you can go to blog.lgbthealthlink.org and you will find uh, the link to that story right up towards the top of the page. Thanks so much once again for calling in and sharing your thoughts. Next up, trans teens take on ban. NBC News reported on a pair of transgender teenagers who are challenging Arizona's ban on gender-affirming surgery under the state's Medicaid plan. 
The teens are filing a class action lawsuit for all young Arizonans who are seeking chest reconstruction surgery, which the state expressly prohibits even though it is medically necessary for transgender individuals. Arizona is one of 10 states that outright bans gender-affirming surgery. There are also some states that have it definitely covered in their regulations, and a lot of states where it's just kind of left ambiguous and isn't discussed one way or another. Now a related story, allowing discrimination counter science. Researchers led by Aaron Jansen argued that laws that discriminate against or allow discrimination against people based on their gender identity run contrary to science. They cite growing evidence that sex assigned at birth is only one part of one's sense of gender and that gender identity is, shocker here, something that's real and important to people. They say that these uh, policies also further marginalize groups, specifically trans and non-binary folks, who already face a lot of health disparities and healthcare issues, making those issues more difficult for medical and public health professionals to address. So for example, when we think about HIV, the federal government has recently committed to ending the HIV epidemic, and we know that with trans folks facing such a big disparity, we can't on the one hand hope to end that epidemic, and on the other hand, uh, be discriminating against trans people, making them feel unwanted uh, in their healthcare providers' offices, or just making it impossible for them to access care. Next up, one in four LGBT youth use non-binary pronouns. Teen Vogue reported on new research from the Trevor Project, and this is really interesting. They found that 25% of LGBT youth aged 13 to 24 use gender non-binary pronouns. Most of these youth used a combination of binary pronouns like he or she plus gender neutral pronouns like they. Um, that was the most popular series of non-binary pronouns, they, them, theirs, which by the way are the pronouns that I use. Um, they also found that you know a smaller percentage of people used just they, them, theirs or use other non-binary gender pronouns. Um, but it's, it's a pretty big number, 25%. And I think that that number really reflects uh, the fact that a growing number of LGBT youth may not use non-binary pronouns exclusively, but are open to using them either, you know, as a, as a sign of solidarity with non-binary folks or their recognition that, you know, they, they don't like the gender binary as a concept, or these may be folks who are non-binary themselves, but who are, you know, letting people use binary pronouns with them maybe as they ease into it or as acceptance grows. The study doesn't unpack, you know, why people are choosing to often use both, but it's very interesting and I think that it's it's showing that as as this population grows and as the LGBT population in general grows, folks who are not used to using pronouns other than he or she are are going to have to get used to it because they're going to be hearing it more and more. Now our next story, Comprehensive Health Ed Works for All. Human Rights Watch reported on why comprehensive sexual health education is so important for the health of all youth. Many states lack any requirement for sexual health education, and several explicitly stigmatize LGBT youth. This leads to all youth lacking key information on their sexual and reproductive health, as well as developing health literacy in general. I think that's a problem that's been especially highlighted during the COVID-19 pandemic, that, you know, we can't just not teach our, our youth um, about their own health and about how to access health information and then expect them to be able to respond in a crisis like this, especially with a lot of mixed messages going around. 
And finally for this week, changing care for intersex infants. CNN reported that the Ann and Robert Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago became the first in the U.S. to apologize for performing medically unnecessary procedures on intersex children to make their genitalia appear more stereotypically male or female. Intersex advocates argue that these irreversible surgeries should only be done when a youth or young adult is old enough to understand why it would be done and to consent to the procedure. The article explores how discovering that one receives such surgery as an infant is often deeply traumatic for intersex individuals to find out that, you know, they had that decision made for them and some part of their identity, you know, kind of stripped away or or, or tried to be hidden from themselves in the world. So this is a really um, interesting story, and it's kind of wild to think that this is the first hospital that's apologized, but hopefully it won't be the last. Well, that does it for another week of our LGBT Wellness Roundup. As always, you can find all of the articles that I have just discussed over on our blog, which is at blog.lgbthealthlink.org. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our guests for calling in. And I hope you'll tune in next week for another edition of the Roundup.